Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. How are you guys? Welcome. We are all set, ready to go, and excited to bring you an interview. I know many of you will be very, very excited about here on this week's edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is free. Remember to go to podcastone.com, help keep it free, find all the great sponsors of the Eddie Trunk Podcast because of them. We bring you this show each week with limited ads at no additional cost to you. Remember, if you heard a sponsor that you want to try out or forgot a sponsor and want to see a list of my sponsors, you can access them by clicking on the Killer Deals button at podcastone.com, search my name, and visit my page for the Eddie Trunk Podcast. We only approve sponsors. That makes sense for my audience, and each of my sponsors are listed there with the banners linked to the promotional deal and the promos listed by the brands. Everything you need, easily accessible in one place. So thanks to all of our sponsors, and thanks to all of you for supporting them. In addition, the Eddie Trunk Podcast is a participant in the Amazon Associates Program. That's an affiliate advertising program designed to provide a means for me to earn fees by linking to Amazon.com and affiliated sites. You can link to Amazon at podcastone.com. Like I said, go there, go to the Eddie Trunk Podcast page, hit that killer deals bar or Amazon, shop away. It doesn't cost you a penny more to do it. And we appreciate you helping keep this a free broadcast each and every week. So what a broadcast we have for you this week. Many people have been waiting for this. This was done a few weeks ago in Toronto, Canada. And it is the reunion of a band that I am asked about so many times, and that is the members of Triumph. Now, the backstory on this interview was that I went to Toronto to interview legendary producer Bob Ezrin. I had had Bob Ezrin on my SiriusXM show on volume, which, again, many of these interviews, including this one, originates from. You can hear that show live and hear these interviews live as they happen and even call in and get involved in them. That show happens live Monday through Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Channel 106, volume 
on Sirius and XM Satellite Radio. And then the show replays every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Then it goes on the Sirius XM app, and then many of the interviews, not all, but some, make their way onto the Eddie Trunk podcast anywhere from two weeks to a few months after they originally air. So if you want to get this stuff fresh, live as it happens, and uh, you can listen to Sirius XM or get a subscription. If not, eventually some of the bigger ones make their way here to the podcast. Now, in the last few weeks, we've had two, three guests in one episode. This week, I'm only bringing you one guest, and that's because it's a major one, and that's because I did my entire show with Triumph. So the entire interview that happened that day in Toronto is coming your way for this week's podcast. But as I was saying earlier, I went to Toronto. I, I had had um, I had, had Bob Ezrin on my show to talk about Kiss Destroyer on its 41st anniversary. And I only had 10, 15 minutes with Bob that day. And of course, I would have loved to have had more time. And we talked about getting more time at some point. And then Bob emailed me and he said, hey, if you would be willing to come to Toronto, perhaps we can do this. Now, I was unaware at the time that SiriusXM had a studio in Toronto. I found out that they did. And SiriusXM said to me, yeah, we'll send you there to do a special with Ezrin. So I was flying to Toronto to interview Bob Ezrin and have him sit, on, sit in on my entire show, which he did. And like I said, maybe I'll post that audio even as soon as next week, because that is also a fascinating, compelling interview. But when I decided I was going to go to Toronto, a city I'd never been to, by the way, which is odd considering I live in New Jersey, which I think is only like eight, nine-hour drive maybe, hourly flights. But for whatever reason, I never went to Toronto until this trip. But when I decided I was going to go for Ezra and I started thinking, okay, what else can we do? Can I, can I add some other interviews on and, and extend the trip a little bit? So I had originally, of course, thought of Rush because when you think of Toronto and you think of rock bands, you think of Rush, right? Ironically, though, Rush were coming to New York at the time I was going to Toronto because they were getting ready to come down and take part in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of Yes that Getty and Alex did. So we literally were like ships passing in the night there, and I, I didn't get a chance to connect with those guys in Toronto. And then I quickly, my thoughts quickly went to, wait, what about Triumph, the other great Canadian Toronto trio? And I know Mike Levine and have known Mike for many, many years. He's been on my radio shows countless times. Same with Rick Emmett. Gilmore I met but didn't really know all that well up until this interview when I really had a chance to spend some time with him. And for the longest time, I had been asked, and still to this day, on my shows or through my email or through my social media, hey, what's going on with Triumph? And the answer has consistently been the same from me. They are retired. They've been very open about the fact that they are done. Rick Emmett isn't. Rick consistently plays and tours and releases records, but the other guys have been retired. 
So I wasn't sure if they were going to be receptive to doing an interview or not, considering that most bands do interviews when they have something to promote, and Triumph doesn't. But I sent an email to Mike Levine, who got back to me. I told him the idea. I said, listen, this would just be a chance to reconnect with your fans and let them call in and talk to you and give a little history lesson and then talk a little bit about what's going on now and what you guys are up to. And if all three of you will come together, let me know. And that was big in and of itself because Triumph, there was a time where they did not get along. Rick Emmett was kind of on the outside. But Mike Levine got back to me like 24 hours later. He said, you know what? I talked to Gil. I talked to Rick. We're in. Let's do it. So there was a a studio that we rented in Toronto. We got together and we did this interview you're about to hear live on my Sirius XM show from Toronto. We had a tremendous time. It was great seeing the guys. But I had to be very honest with my audience leading up to this interview because there were a lot of people that assumed because these guys were coming together and coming on my show, they were going to make some sort of grand announcement, like a reunion, an album, something. So I had to be very upfront with everybody, and I consistently was in saying, hey, listen, this was my idea. I pulled these guys together. This wasn't them calling me wanting to do this because they have some sort of thing to promote or some sort of announcement. And true to form, as you're about to hear in this interview, they are done. And I've said this a thousand times. I would much rather have bands be done and remember them being strong than have bands do reunion shows or reunion tours, not really into it, not as good as they once were, going through the motions, not the same energy, not the same ability. So even though I am also a Triumph fan and would have loved to have seen some some more stuff from them in the last 20 years beyond a couple of shows, I, uh, I respect uh, bands that do this. Leave the legacy intact. I mean, if they were to come back and they're not as good as they once were and it would be highly unlikely that they would be, it's the first thing that happens. Everybody talks about how they can't do it anymore, how they're not good anymore, how they can't hit the high notes, they can't play anymore. So these guys are being brutally honest, and I give them all the credit in the world for it. Gil Moore says in the interview you're about to hear, it would take him like six months to get close to playing shape again. Not to mention that, of course, he's also a lead vocalist in the band. So I respect guys that know when to say when. And uh, Gil is doing some great stuff, which you'll hear about with his studio. Mike Levine, if you saw the picture I tweeted out when I did this, and I'll probably tweet it out again to promote this being on the podcast. But when you look at the photo, Mike Levine had just come from spending the entire winter in Jamaica at his home there. You couldn't see a guy there. You couldn't see a guy more retired than Mike Levine in that picture. <laughs> he, he's tan. You know, he couldn't couldn't. He's done. He's done. So they had a great run. And, uh, you know, you never say never, but I get where they're coming from. And you'll sense it in this interview exactly where they're at in their lives right now. And again, Rick Emmett is clear to make sure everybody knows, hey, I'm still out there. I'm still playing gigs. I'm putting out records. So Rick is still active, but the other guys, I mean, they're on to other phases of their life and good for them.
some great records they gave us, some great live shows as well. We cover all of that, a little bit of history, and then I give the audience, the radio audience, many phone calls to talk to Triumph, which you will also hear in this interview because, again, it originated on my radio show. That's why you're getting to hear the calls. So a lot of fun, and I thank, I really thank Mike, Gill, and Rick for doing this because, as I said, it's incredibly rare for artists to want to do interviews for no reason whatsoever. Most of them don't like doing press, and they don't do things like this unless they have something to promote or sell, and Triumph literally didn't have anything. They just thought it would be fun to connect with their fans and do an interview with me, and it certainly was. So there you go. That's what you got coming up. Uh, a big one for you that you've been waiting for if you don't have Sirius or XM and did not hear this interview. I reunited the three original members of Triumph, and you will get that entire interview here on the Eddie Trunk podcast. So let's take a break. We'll come back, and we'll get right into it with the guys next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Well, there's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know, and that is that using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing, information that empowers discounts off the list price for used cars, and a better buying experience through our TrueCar certified dealer network. There's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. And you'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the new or used car you want. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. I'm John Horn. I'm the host of Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. I'm here with our very first guest, Rain Wilson. Hi, John. It looks like I'm the first guest on the Geffen Unclothed. Unscripted. Unscripted. Yeah, let's go with that. A marriage made in heaven, I guess. Or Westwood. Tune in for some of our exciting upcoming guests. David Copperfield, Neil LaBute, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Rita Wilson, and many more. Be sure to download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app and on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. And, and I'm Rain are. Wilson, the first guest. You are no, the very this, first guest. This was a huge uh, mistake. Stephen Playhouse Unscripted. Huge mistake. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, as promised, from Toronto, an interview that aired live on my Sirius XM show volume, which is on daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, live on channel 106 volume. Uh, the three members of Triumph reunited in their hometown of Toronto, Canada. I want to thank everybody at Sirius XM Canada for their assistance in this, and uh, I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy this. Remember, if you want more information about things coming up on the podcast or on me, social media, Twitter, at Eddie Trunk, perhaps what I'm most active on, Facebook, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk, eddietrunk.com, the website. Trunk Report is the blog. All my appearances are on the homepage. Uh, just a, a little over a week away, hosting M3, Columbia, Maryland, Rocklahoma coming up. 
broadcast from Tulsa and hosting gigs at the Ideal Ballroom in Tulsa with Dawkins and Tom Kiefer, all of it on the homepage of my site, as well as everything else as it comes in. But without further ado, I bring you the reunited triumph for the Eddie Trunk Podcast this week. Enjoy, everybody. I am extremely excited, as I know the audience is, to welcome all three original members of Triumph to the studio. The big audience of one is clapping. <laughs> and we, we have, let, let me go from my, uh, my left around the table here. We have a very tan and bronzed, just back from Jamaica, Mr. Mike Levine. Good to see you, Mike. Eddie, always a pleasure. It's yes. been way too long. It has been. It, has, it been. has been too long, and it's great to see you, and thank you for doing this. And you were the facilitator. I started with you, and you put the word out to the guys, and they didn't hang the phone up on you. Uh, no, they did not. Actually, Rick tried, but we wouldn't let him. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, how come you get the high-class water and we get the president's choice Because I water? bought it. Oh, I, I had to go stop at the supermarket and buy it myself. Just you know? wanted just Wanted to ask. Yeah. Uh, looking straight ahead is uh, Mr. Rick Emmett. Good to see you, Rick. Nice to see you too, Eddie. Thank you for doing this. Much appreciated. My pleasure. And uh, over to my right here, the bionic man, Gil Moore, is here. <laughs> nice to see you, Eddie. It's always a pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Gil has a Gil. Gil, you have a. How long have you had hearing issues? Because you have a hearing device on the uh, on the table. <laughs> That's something to do with your career, maybe. Huh? Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Yeah, talk to Neil Peart. He'll tell you the same story. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> well, we're, we're here with the uh, the members of Triumph, and I know, as I was telling you guys off the air a little while ago, ever since I've been doing this radio show for the longest time, my audience has consistently called up and said, what's going on with the guys in Triumph? What is Triumph doing? Where are the guys in Triumph? So when I found out I was coming to Toronto, I said, well, how about... I try to get the three guys in Triumph together again to talk about what they're all doing. Uh, Rick, you were on my show not too long ago. I was. You just released a record that you guys, uh, Gil and Mike, are both on, and we covered that a little bit. But um, how? first, I guess we'll start with you, Mike. How long has it been since you guys have, done, beyond appearing on Rick's record, how long has it been since the three of you guys sat for an interview and did a radio together? Has it been a while? I think the last time we did something was with BC. We did Rockline out of Toronto. Um, wow. That was yeah. Rest know, in peace. Rest in yeah, peace. Yeah, rest Bob Coburn. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. How um, long ago would that have been? That had to be. Joey was with us. Vendetta. Um, if we had dinner, I don't know, five years ago, maybe five years ago. Yeah. Do you guys see each other on a fairly regular basis now? Do you do you guys all interact? Do you do you, do you you know? We have an annual get together right around Christmas, <laughs> and like the song that I wrote on my album Grand Parade, I sort of based it on the idea of us. We get together and we go for dinner and we sit and have a few drinks and tell tall tales and hey, remember the time. Blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> we at least do that once a year. You know, so it's kind of like the, the triumph Christmas party. Yeah, kind, yeah of. kind of. We used to do it every quarter. You know, and somehow we got it, and that was semi annually, and then it was Christmas. Yeah. Gil, do you enjoy those those get-togethers? Well, yeah, and I and I I see Rocket. Uh, a lot because he's at the studio from time to time doing various things and you know Mikey and I talk in the evenings and uh, if I ever go downtown or he ever comes to Mississauga I get to see him so 
you and know, your studio, of course, we see is each other quite a bit. Your studio, of course, is Metalworks, which is uh, you, you, is it doing well? Or are you? I mean, you hear so many things about studios these days and how it's a struggle for some of them to keep going. But you have a a big operation there, from what I understand. Yeah, How's let me it going? phone in and see if we're going bankrupt this afternoon. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is it that bad, Gil? <laughs> oh, Eddie, let me tell you how bad it is. <laughs> No, we Metalworks has branched out over the years. You know, we have we have a big live division that does uh, concerts and is touring and stuff like that, and we have a school as well. We've got over two hundred students in our school. Oh wow! You know, we've been lucky because of uh, guys like Drake. You know, that have come through and uh, you know got started. Weekend came through and he he was started out kind of here at uh, at Metalworks. So we've been kind of blessed with big artists. We had Justin Bieber in last year. So so you have a lot of artists at Metalworks that aren't metal. We're, yeah, and we're just you know once you're once you're really you've been doing it for so long you just people can't get away from you you know you're you're there like a like a bad you know restaurant I hate that place but it's the only place that's open for forty years so I'm going to keep going you know I think the metal uh, refers to platinum yeah is what yeah. I think it refers to yeah yeah but you know as a kid when I would see Metalworks on Triumph Records I'm like wow they're so metal they even have a studio called Metalworks you know that was always my impression. Now you right. just shattered that. Act. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me the weekend and Justin Bieber were in your studio. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Guns and Roses were there. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> I mean, I want to hear Slayer recorded there. Damn it. Oh boy. So, um, all right. So let let's talk a little history here. And I, as I told my audience, because they've been calling me forever about Triumph, and I want a lot of this show to be the audience and letting your fans talk to you. But you know, this I just realized this. This is my first ever time in Toronto. Uh, just the other day, I, th- I I had to call my dad last night because I couldn't remember if I had ever come here before. We had come on family trips, and he said, "No, that was Montreal." We so I, I've never been to this city. If you can, let's go down memory lane to the beginning, to when you guys first came together in this city. And Rick, you were already in a band, right? When and Gil and Mike approached you, is that how it all went down? Yeah, yeah. And they came and so I was playing in a place called the Hollywood Tavern out on uh, Queensway in the west end of the city. And they came one night and offered me that night. Do you remember I I did some sort of flying kick and my shoe came off? And you guys, there was always stories about oh, the night you came and we, we came and we saw you kick your shoe off. Anyways, they made me an offer, and then you know a few weeks later we got together and met in Gill's basement and had a you know sort of jam session. They showed me contracts that they had for gigs and stuff, and I went oh, okay, I'm in. Yeah, so. And and things happen pretty quick for you guys once you put this thing together, right? I mean, there was a things started moving quickly, did they not? Well, you know, it's that's in the eyes of the beholder who's who's counting time. You know? So we're talking. Well, when you first approached Rick and put the band together, what year were we talking about? Seventy five was it? Yeah. Yep. Seventy five. Summer of seventy five. First gig was in September. That's right. It was yep. seventy five. Simcoe yeah. High School or something. Yep. Yep. I recall. Well, back in those days, there was a circuit you could play that were like high school. All high schools had budgets in Ontario here for for concerts, so everybody had some kind of a convener or something that would be hiring bands every month, and so that was how we started. And then much. where does where does uh, where does it go from there, Gil? You you, you start shopping a record deal. Yeah, well, Mike was uh, he had a, he was a real sophisticated guy for a musician back in the day, and you know he he'd worked in the record industry a little bit while he was still playing. So Mike got us a deal with a a small label called Attic Records, uh-huh. and uh, you know we were out you know hustling through the you know bars and high schools and. Uh, 
you know, we got, I think we got lucky very quickly. You know, we got a, 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 an import record that took off in Texas. And next thing you know, we were headlining a show down there that we didn't probably deserve, but we were shoved in the spotlight and we didn't choke. And the next thing you knew, we were semi-legit. We were in the, we were in America and we were, you know, talking to all the big agents. And uh, we got out of the Ontario scene pretty quick and spent most of, we actually spent more of our career in America than we did in, in Canada. The first record was it was in the beginning, correct? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that record was never really properly released in America for a little while. It's just an import. It was mm-hmm. an, on import. Why do you think it gravitated toward Texas? Was there somebody there playing the band that that I, was I, resourceful, I looking for new bands it, at the time? It was. Um, yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe Anthony, Anthony and, and Lou Roney at Kiss FM really were the guys that picked it up, and and I, and I think it was uh, a lot of it was to do with with uh, uh, Rush. They loved Rush. And, you know, it was just a coincidence. Moxie as well at the time they were playing Moxie. And we were kind of right behind those two bands. And I think they t- maybe took an extra look at the record because we were from Toronto and we were hard rock. And Well, let's a- tell the real truth the, is, is that these guys were were in cahoots with the con- local concert promoter. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Joe. Oh, right. So they, you know, they got a piece of the concert. So they beat the hell out of a record. And then get the band to come and play. Right. Is what they did. But the the, the station simulcast AM and AM FM uh, from noon to 6 p.m. and then went religious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a heavy metal, heavy metal show. I said, and Joe used to, it was amazing. I sat with him one day. He put a record on. Let's put this one on. And he puts a record on. And he goes, oh, that's crap. And scratches right across. <laughs> throws it against the wall. <laughs> Those were the good old days. Uh, I was going to say. I uh, mean, I'm, I, those certainly were. So was the so was the um, was the arc of the band as it was? You know, when you first started out. I mean, were you guys pretty happy? Was there a lot of struggle back then, or was it did it did it move at a pace you guys were all pretty comfortable with? I, I remember a, a certain period of time. My wife and I were buying our groceries with our credit card. Like that's I remember that because we were that transition from being a Canadian bar band to becoming a touring, you know, based on your own music kind of band. Like in the early days, we played Zeppelin sets in bars and then and and we could make good money. But there was a scene that existed at the time. You guys remember like Liverpool and and they would play Beatles stuff and and they could make great money, but they were never going to become, you know, something that would break out of a regional kind of a market thing. So we said, okay, we got to stop. We, we, I don't, you guys remember the first gig at the Olympium in, yeah. in Etobicoke? It was like a place. That was the that, first Triumph gig? Well, it was the first time we said, okay, no, not, not a high school, not a bar. We're going to play a hard ticket concert kind of a thing. We're going to do this. We're going to promote the show. And, and that was the first one we did. But that was a lean time. And, and but the fact that we proved ourselves, yeah. and we, we stopped. Was, we stopped playing bars and high schools in the Toronto area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for like three months. And one of you should tell the story of uh, like Massey Hall and all of that. <laughs> like, you know, I went by there last night just to see it because I've heard so yeah. much about it. I know Rush did all the world's a stage there. I just took a picture of the marquee because hmm. I had never seen it before, and I heard it's actually being renovated right now. They're doing some work to it, but yeah. uh, Slate gave him some dough. Yeah, Dean, yeah. Dean Cameron's like it went begging to Gary. Yeah. Dude, good job. Yeah, he yes. did a good, he we're did getting, great we're, getting, so, yeah. we're getting some inside Canadian politics right yes. now, apparently, with yeah. Rick and Mike. But, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah. but but that did you guys play Massey Hall that early on? We never did. Mm-hmm. Gil should tell the story because Peter Goddard was a part of it. So you tell that story. Yeah, we we were booked to play Massey Hall. And, um, you know, then the fire marshal found out about our track record. 
Um, what year are we talking here now, uh, Bill? 70, I'm going to guess... Eight, eight or seven. seven. I'm not sure which. Eight, I think. Yeah, so that, are, yeah. that early on, there was still yeah. a big show going on with Triumph? There yeah. was always. Yeah. Always. From the beginning, you had a big show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the problem because that was the good news and the bad news because we'd, you know, scorch high school stages and then the principal would write a letter to the board. Well, these guys are really ripping up our... Yeah, you know, we're going to have to refinish the floor after they left. I want to make it clear this was Gil Moore's band. <laughs> All that stuff was Gil Moore's band. We're going to have flamethrowers. We're going to have, yeah, live tigers are going to come <laughs> jumping out of cages. Yeah. So so poor old Massey Hall here, you know, CPI was Michael Cole back in the day, you know, put the show on. And the tickets went boom right out of the gate. We had great ticket sales. And then the fire marshal came in and, and, and took a look at our what we were going to do. And he said, I want to do a test with these guys. So we sent our pyro down there. The next thing you know, oh, no, there's going to be no triumph at Massey Hall anytime soon. So our manager at the time is kind of downhearted because we just got the boot from Massey Hall. We're trying to, they're going to refund the tickets. And I said, well, let's not refund the tickets. Let's just move it to Maple Leaf Gardens. And, and of course, Michael Cole rightly said, are you guys out of your minds? That's never going to happen. <laughs> Too big, right? Yeah. At that point, you, know, you couldn't fill it. Well, Massey Hall's 2,715, I think, seats. We'd sold about 1,700 out of the gate, so it looked like it would sell out. But 2,700 is one thing. You know, the Gardens is a hockey arena. And, you know, Steve, Steve and I sort of just said to Michael, this is really good news. Let's just publicize the fact that this is the show that's too hot for Massey Hall. And uh, one of the writers for the Star at the time, uh, who was my piano teacher when I was, uh, uh, you know, seven or eight years old, Peter Goddard, uh, who we're working with now on our movie, by the way. Uh, Peter well, there's, wrote a, there's a Triumph movie? Yeah, there's a Triumph movie. Oh, coming. we'll get to that. Okay, great. <laughs> so Peter writes a story, literally says, the show that's too hot for mass, he puts it on the uh, like a, a blurb on the front page of the Toronto Star, and then inside the, the, the paper was a bigger story about it. And CPI went along with it. Michael Cole said, I'm crazy. I don't know why I'm doing this. I should never have listened to you guys. But the next thing you know, we actually uh, had really good numbers. We didn't sell out the gardens, but we, we substantially filled it. And it, it looked to everybody like we did. They did a concert bowl thing where they, and our, they yeah, put a drape. They, and so they, right. we only had to do half the building. Right, right. And the good news was our managers had the wherewithal to get four American record labels to come up and see the band, one of whom was RCA. And they signed us. And boom, now we got a record deal in America. So and wait, what, we go. what record was out when you did that? Was that Rock and Roll Machine? Was it yeah. the second record? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you guys are in an arena, although it's curtained, but still an arena putting on a big show on a second record without even really a major label record deal. Yeah, and the record companies were scratching their heads going, how is this possible? And, and Michael Cole, after the show, went, how is this possible? Right? And then he went, hey, let's do a tour across Canada. Let's do arenas everywhere. So, you know, uh, the whole CPI chain got behind us in Canada and promoted us right across the country. And in America, we got the deal with RCA. The next thing you knew, we had an American agent, and we had a first tour of America. And we didn't we didn't start playing bars or anything. We started out headlining theaters like the Stanley Theater in Pittsburgh and the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. And, of course, Texas had taken off at this point. So we had three or four uh, uh, venues we could play down there. And, the, and then the Midwest filled in like Louisville, Kentucky, and Indianapolis. And just it kind of just uh, snowballed. You guys mentioned that you had a big show right out of the gate. How were you able to afford putting that together? Did you borrow money? Had you saved money? I mean, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, where did the resources come from to, as a baby band, come out of the gate with pyro and all these things? We borrowed money from the Toronto Musicians Credit Union. 
is the Toronto Musicians Credit Union. Union. Yep. And that, just is that just a bank that helps fund a no. credit union? Yeah, it was a credit union that was affiliated so to you, the Musicians you, you took Union. A loan. Yeah. You took a loan. We borrowed yeah. the money. We had to pay it back. Uh, and and uh, how much did you have to borrow? Do you remember? Ten grand. Ten grand, yeah. And what did that buy you at that time? Bought us pyro. Yeah, I'll figure that's like 150 grand today or Lights. 200 grand. We, we've got a big tractor for a not not a the, the trailer for a tractor trailer, and we'd fill that with crap. And when I say crap, there were things like we'd have giant PA stacks, but some of the things didn't necessarily have speakers in them. <laughs> we had a lot of lights, but they weren't all necessarily plugged in and all working. You know, yeah. Yeah, it was, and, and Gil, were you the guy behind the driving aspect of the sh the show part? Were you the one that was pushing that? Well, I had a kind of a you know when when I was in, in my teens, I had this hokey pokey little sound and lighting company, and that's actually how Mike and I got working together because he rented one of my my sound systems that didn't work. Yeah. And uh, and then he didn't pay, and then he didn't pay me. <laughs> I, 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 I still spent, looking for a refund. I, I, I spent more time driving to Gil's house getting getting new, <laughs> new trainer amplifiers. <laughs> so you know that was kind of like a, a fledgling like kid company. You know that you, you you run from your parents' basement, but that gave me the background. I love the audio. I love sound. I still do. Yeah, that's why I'm in it. You know, as an adult, but. Uh, I guess that's where we got a lot of the stuff, and and Mike and I had borrowed this money from the credit union, which we bought a you know a bunch more stuff with, and it was kind of ragtag, but it worked. It clearly worked. We're going to talk more about the evolution of Triumph with Mike Levine, Rick Emmett, Gilmore, the original three members of Triumph, and we are going to take your phone calls. A few more things from me as we talk a little bit of uh, of Triumph history here, and we'll continue doing that, and we'll include you in it right after we take this break. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Casper Mattresses, everybody. I got one. They're amazing. They're the online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price. I'm telling you, these are awesome. They come in a box. The shipping is free. The mattresses are hybrid mattresses. They combine premium memory foam with latex foam. And they've been named one of Time's best inventions of 2015. Now, even if you buy a great mattress that's not a Casper, a lot of times you you got a lot you see people they're tying them to the top of their cars and it's a big pain in the neck. Casper, you don't have to deal with any of that. First of all, buying the mattress is completely risk-free because they offer free delivery and returns within a 100-day period, so there's nothing to lose. And statistically, lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation to whether it's the right bed for you. So Casper has made this totally risk-free, and they understand the importance of truly lying on a mattress and really spending some time on it, Okay. And then if you don't like it after 100 days, shipping everything totally free, amazingly priced. They're incredibly engineered mattresses. Like I said, I have one myself. My son loves it. They're one of the most awarded mattresses of the decade. And again, you just open this thing up. It just pops out of the box. You drop it on your box spring. You're done. It's really, really awesome. Great if you have a a shore vacation house, or great as your main everyday mattress because they really are that comfortable. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase. Here's what you need to do. Visit caspertrial.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K. 
and use promo code 50sleep, 50sleep. Terms and conditions apply. Again, 50 bucks off, and it's totally free. If you don't want it, send it back. won't cost you a penny. $50 off any mattress. Caspertrial.com slash trunk. Promo code 50sleep. You will love Casper mattresses. Check it out. Nothing to lose. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Talking a little bit about the history of Triumph, and during the break, Mike was still commiserating and giving Gil shit because that PA that he rented from him didn't work 45 years ago. He's yeah, still we're we're going to see, a, we're gonna see about that later. Still. We're going to talk about that when we're not on send the air. You an invoice, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what, 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 somebody said there was a good story that we had to make sure we get during the break about something. Do you remember? Police what car. Police, oh, Mike's car. Mike yeah. had a car. What a Mike, classic. You, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, Please well, indulge us. Fess up. Okay, it was a long time ago. <laughs> yes, it was. It Even was. before my time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, long before yeah, your time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I had no dough. And I rented it. I had no wheels, so I rented a car from this guy, Bob MacArthur, MacArthur's Rentals. And all the only cars he had were ex-cop cars. But they were painted black except for the doors were white, and it said resale on the side of the door. <laughs> And that's what I drove around. So when I went out to Gil's place to pick up lousy PA parts, um, <laughs> I went in my resale vehicle. <laughs> oh, we only had some footage. Oh, some oh I'd kill for a yeah. photo of that. It was a classic. Speaking of footage, did I not hear uh, somebody uh, fill us in? You, Gil, you mentioned a Triumph movie. Tell me about that, a documentary? Well, yeah, it's sort of been in the... In the uh, in the thr- we've been in the throes of doing it for about four years, but uh, Peter Goddard, who we mentioned earlier, has uh, scripted it. Don Allen's the director, and uh, Marty Katz is the producer. Um, and it's a sort of a life and times of, <clears throat> excuse me, of triumph, but it's also uh, about the life and times of, you know, the 80s and rock and roll in North America. It, it, it culminates uh, sort of with our performance at the Us Festival for Steve Wozniak. On heavy metal Sunday, mm-hmm. and uh, it talks a lot about the technology of of, uh, of music at the time. You know, the change to uh, uh, you know computerized lighting and moving lighting and all that sort of uh, stuff. Because we were considered to be at the forefront of some of the production uh, aesthetics that are common, you know, today. So yeah, we used to win awards for for your stage shows. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and, and, and innovators. And, yeah. So the film's going to be touching on. The, the sort of things that you innovated in stage in stage production as well as the whole history of the band are we going to get that as well like your the the arc of the band up to that point yeah yeah the whole the whole arc of the band is is in there and in, in triumphs the you know the backbone of the story but you know to try to make it more interesting than just a story about triumph the way they've written it is to just include you know what it was like to be in that time frame listening to music you know particularly the rock genre and, uh, you know, what was going on culturally at the time as well? You know, the evolution of the computer, the personal computer that was invented really impacted music. So it's something that not a lot of people know. We had, we had trusses that were actually running off one of those original uh, Mac, Macintosh 2Cs. Really? Yeah, it's hard to believe. We still have the computer. Um, you know, it's an, an antique now, but... Uh, 
it was quite interesting, some of the stuff that was going on. So they're going to try to tie that into the movie. And then the, the production of the film itself is going to be very high-tech with a bunch of interactive uh, uh, elements to it. So it's it's going to be kind of a techie edge to the film as well. So when when will that when's the target date for people to be able to see that? I'm thinking probably 2018. Okay. Um, you know, most of the funding is put together uh, now. There's a few more uh, you know business deals that are being made, kind of behind the scenes. But that's what we're looking at. And a lot of the footage, of course, is in the can because a lot of it's historical. When we talk about the arc of triumph, and I know we got people on hold, and we're going to get your calls. I promise you guys to so sit tight for a second. But when when we when we talk about the arc of this band, we talked about the early days and those first two records we touched on. And then, of course, it progressed. And I, you know, my first experience being uh, a kid growing up in, in the U.S. was seeing and hearing about Triumph because you were really one of the first bands I ever saw on this new channel at the time called MTV. And you had had those performance videos, which I think were... I, I, well, lay it on the line was one. I yep. think hold on was mm -hmm. one, yep. if I'm correct. And and those were so. So you guys came at a time just as this channel MTV came on, and then had the I, I guess the the vision to to shoot some songs and ha talk about how that all came that, together. That was the just a game album. That was our third album in Canada, which then was the second album in the states. And so, like your experience of you know getting to know Triumph from MTV, there was a people that were just a little ahead of you in the States, they would have heard us from the whole thing of uh, album radio playing late on the line and hold on. And that would have been 79. Yes. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a little bit before, but we're signed to RCA records and RCA records, of course, is a very large selling of um, TVs and, <laughs> you know, microwaves. Okay. No, I'm making jokes now, but you know what I mean? Right. So, uh, one of the things was that the RCA said, we got this newfangled thing, VCRs, and we want to compete against, what was the Sony one? Betamax. So they say, we're gonna, we want to put these machines in all the, we, we need some stuff. And so Mike cuts a deal, and we go to a soundstage in Kleinberg here in Canada, and we did in one afternoon and evening, like, uh, hold on, lay on, it was a four, moving on, lay it on the line, hold on, I think it was three. I think there was only three. Yeah, because we had to fire what's his name, the director, mid, mid, midway through. <laughs> yeah. he freaked out. Wasn't there, was, wasn't there a video? Did you guys do a video? I know it was from an earlier record, but the Rocky Mountain Way cover was there a video for that? I or don't no? think there was. No, no. 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 I, I, I just trying no. to remember that. But I remember seeing the videos because I remember being so pissed off because when I got the record, the the video for Hold On had a huge chunk cut out of it. Right. You know, because yes. it, it was an edited version yeah. of the song. I was oh, like, yeah. oh! So every time I saw the video, I was so mad that extra part wasn't in there. You yeah. and me both, Eddie. <laughs> that, that was, but that was the thing. The, the, how do you make the transition from album radio to, to, to you know, uh, AM radio where, oh, so they would edit songs. You yeah, know? Yeah. No, don't edit it. So anyways, the point is RCA had these machines they wanted stuff so that people could walk into record stores and there would be a loop and there's Triumph playing those songs on those machines. And so then up, up comes MTV and they're desperate for footage. Like they can't play Mike Nesmith videos all day long. And so they're going, what do you got? And so we gave them that. And before you know it, and I think, by the way, I think we invented the money shot. 
which is to say there was one moment in Lay It on the Line where I, I was singing at the mic, and it was the transition from the quiet part of the song to when the song, the drum fill, and a flash pot went off behind my head with a fairly tight shot, and it, it just like wiped out the screen. So it wiped it out, and then it came back, and there's Ricky out of the <laughs> out of the explosion, and it was like, what a shot! And it was just pure dumb luck that we had it. So you had like a primitive version of like a soft lens focus thing going on. It was you just this, like, for. here's Rick singing, and then all of a sudden, wham! And a huge explosion, and then here comes Rick back out of the flames. Yeah. How, how much? How quick did you feel that impact? Uh, because a lot of bands did feel an immediate change in when MTV started to emerge, and, and all of a sudden you guys start popping up on TV screens all over America. I mean, it had a. I imagine you felt an immediate hit hit from that in a good way, right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, primarily before MTV, um, our audience was male. Yeah. Uh, you know, young and and you know rock rock guys. Right. And then because of MTV, we started attracting. Very attractive females. That didn't suck. And guys would always go where the where the girls were, right? right? So we had the guys, then we got the girls, then we got more guys, then we got more girls, and pretty soon it was um, arenas. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you know, progressions of power, uh, uh, I Can Survive. I remember hearing that on the radio some in, in the U.S., and I Live for the Weekend and things like that. And I, I was, you know, the record that I was completely uh, consumed was... Uh, consumed, consumed with was Allied Forces. I mean, that was the one that put it over the top for me as far as uh, I remember hearing my local radio station track that start to finish when it came out. And I mean, at that point, you, I mean, everything in Triumph Land is running at, at, at peak performance at that point. Would you say, Gil, was that the pretty much the height of things that and the, the couple records to come after? Well, we were on a roll live, you know, because we were now had made it to the arenas you know around uh around the united states and and across canada and so the shows were doing great but uh actually the tours actually got bigger over the next few years uh every tour seemed to grow uh right until we quit touring i mean our largest tour was the last tour we did uh but it was a good feeling at that time because it it kind of felt like okay uh, I remember one time at a radio, radio interview, and uh, it, was, it was a small market. It was in Fresno, but we're, I was doing the interview with the, with the jock on the air, and he said, uh, you know what? You guys have gone from being, you know, needing to get on radio or trying to get on radio to being the sound of radio. Mm. And I thought, wow, well, that's an interesting comment to say that we'd become the sound of radio. So it was a kind of a watershed uh, time frame, I think, for us. How did you guys all individually handle the, the success of the band as as it kept getting bigger and bigger? Did did you all kind of keep it together? Did you go off the rails? Was did did somebody you know immediately get a drug problem? I well, mean, Mike and Mike and Rick went to hell in a handbasket. Uh, I was I kept it together. Kid was busy right, selling right bootleg coach. amps yeah. out the back. Of the... Wait, do, do you guys remember that English tour when Gil was holding on to a fan on the seat? At the in the dressing room, there might have been a little bit of drinking on that tour, Gil. I, uh, I don't remember that. You know what? We we weren't. But really... there's not. The point is, is there's nothing. There's no class to per, to prepare anybody for. No, going from a, a a band playing clubs in Toronto to playing arenas, being on MTV, getting all this. 
excitement and attention from fans and then all all this money coming in and all these things going on. I mean, some guys handle it well and, and some guys don't. How did you guys do with all that? First of all, we've gone through some stages where there were other managers that got involved with us, but then we would eventually fire them and they'd sue us, and but we'd get rid of them. And the band was pretty much self-managed. So that was something that kind of kept it grounded. And then there was something that got said earlier when it was, it was like Michael Cole going, this is never going to work. And, you know, this is, and I think we always kind of felt like, ah, this is never going to work, <laughs> but let's do it anyways. And, and there was that kind of, um, I don't know, the blowing on the dice kind of, we're going to try, like the album was called Just a Game and it had the dice and it, we really did kind of have a core philosophy that, you know, we're just going to, this is a, a wing and a prayer kind of thing, and we'll just keep riding it and see how it goes. So, and I never believed in the rock star thing, you know. We, we would travel. One of my favorite stories is we're walking through O'Hare, and and here's Troy. We're flying commercial. We're carrying our own bags. we got no road manager. We're coming down. And here comes Van Halen's entourage from the other direction. <laughs> and they've got midgets and <laughs> and they that are carrying guitar cases. And there was no brown m and Women without their clothes. And, and David's out front. He's wearing huge sunglasses and a feather bow. And we... The two entourages go by, <laughs> you know, we just go, yeah, okay. You know? It's like, we never really bought in on that level. You know, for us, it was about getting up and doing that 90 minutes every night, you know. You touched on the Us Festival a little while ago. Uh, some some memories of that because you guys put out one of the one of the first things and there was a huge period of 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 you know nothing as far as triumph activity which we'll get into in a second but one of the things that did come out because Mike I think you came on to my show and did some promotion for it was the US Festival performance which you put out on DVD and CD a while ago um, talk about the experience of playing that and playing on Metal Day and you you guys had the the foresight to carve out in your deal being able to control the footage of your performance right because most bands can't and didn't that's true um our, our agent we, we had the, we had the the best agent that made the deal because he's the one that thought of it yeah and said hey you know we should have the rights to use whatever our own footage we let them have the footage too for i think they, they had one shot and a repeat as i recall right Gil? yeah and um and then it, we basically owned it after that, and and nobody else did. And the experience of actually playing the show, uh, the, how many people were there on that metal day? Was it like 100,000 people or something oh, like God, that? Oh, God, no, way more than that. More than 100,000. Oh, yeah, yeah the, the, the sort of the estimates are somewhere between, you know, 250,000 to 500,000, oh. depending on who you believe. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the largest show, I think, of all time in the United States. On stage, you could only see humanity as mm -hmm. far as your eye could go, like back and over the hills and out of sight. It was just people. It was a sea of people. There's stage. a lot of aerial footage of it, yeah. you know, so you can kind of see it's yeah. truly and, amazing. And they couldn't go by ticket sales because the fans broke the fences down. Right. So it was like it was wide open, you know, because they just couldn't wait in line, so to speak, online to get their tickets or to get in or whatever. They, the fences came down, so nobody had a real accurate estimate. Do you guys remember anything specific about the show and the performance itself? Was there anything beyond the, the mass amount of the crowd? Was there anything that stood out out of the norm of the actual show oh, itself? A million things. Like we flew in in a helicopter because the, you couldn't because of the traffic. So I, I don't... When was the Kalamazoo show where we also did the helicopter? When what year was that? It was later. 
Yeah. Okay. So it was the first time I got to fly next, in a helicopter. Next year it was '84. Yeah. Okay. So first time in a helicopter, and then you, you go to the backstage area, and Van Halen had a compound. Do you remember? It was and it was like <laughs> they had a, a wall built of of those kinds of sticks. It looked like something out of Lord of the Flies or something. <laughs> that was their compound, and it was like, oh, okay, they get a compound. You know, we had a nice trailer, and it was air conditioned, and everything. But come on, geez, you know. So, yeah, there's a, there's. A thousand things. So Wozniak walked us up to the stage, and him and Gil were like arm in arm. And yeah, there was some cr- crazy moments. And it was really hot. Oh, you remember that? It was like hot and dusty. Yeah, and 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 uh, the smog had blown up from L.A. and was sort of trapped in whatever that little valley area with the hills. And so it was like. You run up and down the stage once, and it felt like you'd smoked a pound of hash. Like it was just your lungs were just <gasps> can't breathe. You know. So. We had flown in from. Didn't we play? We we, we played a gig in Florida. Played the T Bowl yeah, the day the, before was easy the, top. Yeah, they played the, the day tangerine. before. Yeah. Day before. Oh man, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, the Jeez. Tangerine Bowl, and we swapped places with Sammy Hager so we could make the flight. Yeah, we had to play earlier. Wow. And we went right from the stage in our stage clothes into the limo with our guitars into the airport, Crazy. and we had to use rented gear in in uh, for the S Festival. Wow. I always wondered how you guys determined uh, between, you know, having two lead singers in the band, Gil, you singing lead and, and Rick, you singing lead as well. Uh, the decision on who sang the song, was it purely based on who wrote it or, or how did you guys divvy that up? It went through stages. Early on, if Gil wrote, you know, had a song idea, we'd work it up and then he would be the vocalist for that song. So the first few albums. When was the one, when did we get to the time when we were co-writing together and we would go across the Metalworks Plaza. To, we'd rented a space. And, <laughs> was that Thunder 7? Ah, oh, no, before that. Yeah? I don't know. The song that stands out for me that we did like that was Fight the Good Fight. That's the one I remember doing. Like yeah, that. but that was that was that was that was in on. that was in the studio. Yeah, 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 yeah. that was in that was in Metalworks. Yeah, yeah. But there was one time where we rented the space across the parking lot, and we went in there with like a little four track machine, and we'd write every day. I think that was Thunder Seven, but anyhow, that's what happened. Eventually, it was like it had evolved to the point where we're writing together, and then, oh, you sing that line, and then I'll sing this line, and then, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what happens when this whole sort of party comes to an end and then there's this huge chunk of downtime. And then it was little, just short of 10 years ago that the band got back together and I hosted a show. You guys played it in Oklahoma at Rocklahoma. You played a show in Sweden Rock. That stuff has come out. I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I promise the very patient people on the phone that I will give you the rest of the show to fire away at Rick, Gill, and Mike. But I want to get my stuff done. I'm the one who flew up here to Toronto. I got a couple questions, all right? So I'm going to get one more, a little more from me, and then I'm going to turn the rest of the show over to you guys on the phones. I know the Triumph fans are chomping at the bit to fire away and we're going to let you do that, I promise you. We'll come back, we'll take a break. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. BarkBox, where's all my dog lovers out there? Check this out. Every month, BarkBox picks the best all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs even including stuff like allergies or heavy chewer preferences. All the edibles that BarkBox brings you are made in the USA or Canada, and they're 100% of the products that they, they, they bring you in these boxes. They're tested on animals. 
their own animals. BarkBox is a great way to try a variety of treats and toys from local and small businesses for your dog that you may not otherwise be able to find. And each month, there's a theme, country fair, bark ball, Poo York City, Brooklyn Hipster, new and unique toys. They continue to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. You guys will love this. There's free shipping on any bark box within the continental U.S. as well. You will absolutely love BarkBox. If you're a dog owner, it is a must. So what you need to do if you want to try out BarkBox and get a tremendous deal is go to getbarkbox.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K, and you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox. An extra month free! Getbarkbox.com slash trunk. When you subscribe, again, getbarkbox.com slash my last name, Trunk, a free extra month of BarkBox. What's, I mean, there's nothing to lose. This is an awesome thing. If you have a pet, if you got a dog, BarkBox, you'll love it, and you get a free BarkBox, a free month. Getbarkbox.com slash Trunk. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Gilmore, Mike Levine, Rick Emmett. Nice enough to take some time out of their afternoon to talk to us and to talk to you shortly about the history of this great band. And we just learned there's a film coming, and we talked a little bit about the earlier history. But before we go to the calls, I just wanted to ask you guys about the end. When does it all start to sort of wind down for you guys? Where is the where do the wheels start to come off? Where does the band start to kind of uh, end its its run? Um, I think. You know, we let the record company get too much in our face, and it caused some dissension, you know, amongst the three of us. You know, we recorded, we've, you know, we, uh, I guess it was Sport of Kings. That was the album, yeah, for the, sure. That we agreed to go to L.A. to record the, the bed tracks. Cut the beds. And, um, you know, Ron Nevison was hired as the producer, and Mike Clink was the engineer. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't us anymore. You know, it's like, it was always the three musketeers in the studio, whatever. It was always just us. You were feeling pressure from the label to do things you didn't want to do. Is that what was happening? Um, yes and no. You know, eventually you got to play ball, right? Um, I guess, you know, that, that's what we thought that we had to play ball with the record company in order to get things, to keep things moving, you know, forward. And, you know, you piss off the record company, guess what happens to your records? Right, you get buried. You get buried, right? So we agreed to it, and it was a, it was a fucking disaster, really. Making yeah. that record? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Nevison didn't last, and he quit. Yeah. And, and then uh, Clink took over, and, and he did a nice job, and, you know, uh, in a tough situation, uh, you know, stepping in and, you know, but that Sport of Kings was it wasn't really the band anymore. It was now we were chasing songs that we hoped would become home run kind of hits, mm-hmm. and it wasn't really what the, the band was. When you look back on the history of Triumph and you say, okay, when when would you choose the sweet spot? And we might differ between the three of us, but that that Allied Forces album when we built the studio and we were in there and we made that record that to me that was the sweet spot we figured out what the band was and 
uh, you know, uh, songs like Magic Power and, and Fight the Good Fight. And, you know, that that stuff was the heart of the band. And then by the time we got to Sport of Kings, it was like, what happened to the heart? Where's the heart? We mm. couldn't find the heart anymore. So what did you tour on Sport of Kings? Yeah, we did. Yeah, you yeah. did. Yeah. And how was the yeah. vibe then? Yeah. Was it were you guys OK or was it? Yeah, we were OK on the road. I mean, it was fine. But, you know, and, and then what happens when that tour ends? Um, then we had to make another record. And that was not easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's... was that the record you made without Rick? No, no, the surveillance. surveillance. Oh, surveillance. surveillance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but there was weird politics there, too. Tom Trumbo came in to, to sort of co-produce, and he'd been the A&R man with the label, but he wasn't really going to be the A&R man after the record came no, out. Was, uh, he was like, go before the record. Okay, so yeah. there, there was a weird transitioning power politics thing there. And, and but still getting even though was Sport of Kings was from my recollection was fairly successful was it not as far as sales or no? It was me. It was medium. It, it wasn't. Uh, it was a gold record, but um, it 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 was an effort to to make it a gold record. So, so going into surveillance, are you still feeling the same sort of pressure from the label, or were there pressures within the band? I mean, what what what's the what's the what's the feel? Gil's nodding his head. Well, you know, it doesn't just, work too I'm good just, on radio. This is my nap time, so I was just actually starting to nod off, Eddie. Uh, no, <laughs> the uh, the questions are getting too hard. Yeah, that's, a tough, that's, that's a tough question. But 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 you know, Rick said it best. You know, the the air kind of got sucked out of the room at that point. You know, mm. touring wise was great. Like the audience never let us down. So we went on the road and we have great shows. But you know, you thrive on the songs too, and yeah. we weren't liking the songs we were doing. So, and we realize we're playing songs that people want us to play, meaning the label guys and producers, rather than, as Mike said, the three musketeers digging it out of the dirt, which is how we always did it. And it's a shame that, you know, that we did that. But, you know, you can't live twice. You live once. And those are the, those are the things that happen. And we, uh, we got influenced. I think every band on the planet has suffered from the same thing. They yeah. get influenced. And, you know, somebody thinks they know a better secret sauce and we're going to get these guys to do it my way and they'll do much better. And for the most part, if you look at bands that do really well, they, 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 they do well because they really did what came naturally to right. them, not what somebody manufactured for right. them. Right. And, and, and we didn't have, we, we retired the audio illusion processor, which was the best toy <laughs> we ever had. What is that? <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea what he's talking about, Eddie. <laughs> we, we, had, we, we had our tech guy, um, Dave Dixon, build this little box with one of those big red lights on it. And a switch. Yeah. And we'd put it on to whenever a record company guy came, an A&R guy, um, wanted to come to Toronto to hear what we were doing, right? So we're in the in the mix process, I think, on Allied Forces. And the A&R guy from RCA, what was his name? Dan Loggins. Dan would have the sweater tied around his neck, you know, and the tan and his tennis racket and his backpack and all that. And he, and he came in, and I think it was, it was Magic Power or whatever. I can't remember the song. He listened to me. He goes, geez, that's really great. But, ah, oh, man, I could really use just a little more snare drum, a little more, maybe some reverb on it or something. Right, and we no problem, Dan. Dim the lights, turn on the audio illusion processor, and, and he's staring at the light. Right, and he's going, "Oh, that's way better." <laughs> okay, I get a it light now. In the box. Yep. That's all. It's, oh, that's priceless. That's so good. Oh my God. So, so eventually, this the the 
this ends with you leaving the band, correct, Rick? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and your decision to Fall do that. Fall of 88. Fall yeah. of 88. Yeah. And then you go off on, on your own thing. And then there was, uh, there was a long period of separation, was there not, with you and these guys? Yeah. It's a long, couple of decades, <laughs> and it, it didn't go very well for the first decade. It was, you know, it wasn't for you or them or both. <laughs> oh, for, I'm sure for for all of us. Right. You know, we were not we weren't happy with each other. We weren't happy with you know uh, the way it was playing out. Uh, so, and it took us a long time to sort of get back to the point where I was like, okay, you know, now, now, now let we'll be human about this. We'll see if we can figure it out. Yeah, the thing too is that like. When you have a fraternity, like a, a brotherhood kind of circumstance, and three guys have gone through this process that we've just described, you know, this history over 13 years, there's a lot of stuff there that becomes, you know, if you feel like uh, somebody kicked the pins out from underneath it that, it, that it hasn't turned out to be what you want it to be, then now there's a lot of damage, there's a lot of hurt. So that stuff takes a long time to kind of yeah. get past and grow up and 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 realize okay, what we did have was good. What has happened in the last while has not been good. Let's try and figure out how we get back to what's good. You know, so right. it, it, that took a long time, but we eventually got there. Well, you got you would eventually you would go off and you know start a solo career, which you still maintain to this day, Rick. Yeah. Um, Mike and Gil made one triumph record with Phil X in, in place of uh, of Rick, who's now in Bon Jovi, Correct, uh, yeah. replacing Richie Sambora. And heard from him the other day. He said, "Say hello to the guys." Um, and uh, and then, of course, there would be that long period of inactivity, and then the band would come back into action and do these two live shows, Sweden and Rocklahoma, which have been shot and documented and released. And, um, you know, Gil, you've done the studio thing, and Mike, you've clearly hung out in Jamaica on the beach because you're <laughs> tanned and relaxed. <laughs> Way more relaxed and tanned than anybody should be. Yeah, I'm on. <laughs> And uh, that brings us up kind of doing a very Reader's Digest version to 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 current times with this movie coming and, and everything else going on. Um, and we should mention again, for people that don't know, Mike and Gil do appear. There is a Triumph reunion on record on Rick Emmett's new record. Yeah, where Res you guys all, on Res 9, where you guys all played together, which I imagine was a, was a fun experience to, to get... Gil, you... Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to get together and hang out in the studio and laugh. And, you know, when it's all over, I've got to take two weeks off and then quit. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great while it lasted. <laughs> Uh, you guys ready? You ready to talk to your public? I've been hearing from people for years. Uh, what's going on with <laughs> Triumph? So now, my audience, this is your chance to ask that very question. And we're going to start with uh, Jim in Colorado. So let's just get this right out of the way, Jim. Fire away. Let's, let's sort this Man, out the once and for all. smiling on me. Go I'm ahead, Jim. You're the first caller. Right on. Hey, uh, real brief, Suitcase Blues is the reason that at 54... I still own and play guitars. And second off, and most importantly, when does the tour start? <laughs> Any announcement you want to make here to, to the country, you guys? We're broadcasting to U.S. and Canada. Is there any news that you want to make? I had to tell everybody leading into this interview, by the way, that I called you. You guys didn't call me just so people didn't get the impression like the guys are calling Eddie to make a big announcement. So, you know, um, I guess thank you, Jim, for the call. And the obvious question here, it's been eight years, nine years since you played live. Is there 
any and uh, go around the horn. How does everybody feel? I know, Rick, you took this question on my show a yeah. month ago. But, I mean, you know, going around the horn, how do you feel about potentially doing something again as a band? Well, I know how hard it was to try and get them just to come into the studio and play on one little ballad. So, <laughs> I mean, it's funny the guy mentioned Suitcase Blues because the Grand Parade song on the album was a kind of a suitcase bluesy kind of thing. But it was even closer to the heart of, of the Triumph sort of experience, you know, in terms of the lyric and the content and everything, that that sort of moody midnight thing. So it was hard. There was some bending of arms in order to try and get the guys to do just oh, that. Come on, Rick. Oh, yeah? You weren't around when I was trying to talk him into it. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You were <laughs> easy. He's talking about Gil. Gil yeah. was the problem. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gil, a lot of arm bending just to do one song, so you're not going on the road anytime soon, are you, bud? Well, you know, let's look at it this way. <laughs> Playing drums and singing at the same time, idiot, it's kind of like being an electrician and a plumber. <laughs> Sooner or later, you're going to have the 240 volts in one hand and the drain in the other hand. And then you know what happens? <laughs> You've seen the Spinal Tap video. You know how it all ends for the drummer, all right? The drummers explode. We've all, been, we've all seen that video. We know how it ends. Mike, oh. would you like to chime in on your thoughts about I, I, getting electrocuted <laughs> or playing again? I, I, I'll... <laughs> I'll just let Gil carry that ball. I think you'll let Gil go with that. Yeah. Is there a side of it that you like like here's the thing. All three of you guys, you look great. You're you're clearly friends again. You're clearly having fun. You're you know, it's very obvious. I mean, is there a side of you that misses this, you know, just being in the same room together and having some fun? And you say you do it once a year for the holidays or whatever, but do do you miss uh the camaraderie and the fun and the laughs and the memories? Well, uh, for me, I mean, I, I, I tour. I play lots right. of gigs. You know, people can go to my website and see, oh, hey, look, he's, he, he, you know, I, so I didn't die. Right. Rick, <laughs> you know? Rick knows yeah. the difference between the water and the electric. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, uh, you know, I'm going to play a band gig on, on uh, uh, Friday. So I have a rehearsal in, in my house with three guys that I have a relationship with them and it's a good one. And it's, a, it's, you know, I, I enjoy it. It's not these guys. It's not the same sense of history, but right. I, but I get my sort of connection and I get that feeling of being part of a team, you know? So I would, you know, if these guys ever got to the point where they said to me, Rick, we, we miss you. We want to play with you. I would say, I'm in, I'm there. But, you know, I don't think they miss the playing as much as I do you know, when I'm not doing it. Well, Gil, do you miss playing? Do you play? I, I, I miss... I, no, I don't play. I, I miss the camaraderie. When was the last time you played drums? Just playing on Rick's track. Okay. Right? Like, to me, you either do it or you don't do it. Right. So, in, in order for me to play properly, I have to play every single day. That's the only way to be a musician. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing uh, with, with Metalworks, which is Your something studio. that I'm very, very passionate about. Well, and, and the school, too. You know, I've got... All these kids now that have been graduating for 12 years that are out doing things in the music industry. And, you know, our live event team is doing big shows. And I go to some of the shows. It's, it's a thrill. What do I miss about Triumph? I miss, the, I miss the jokes, the camaraderie. We were the one band that had humor as a, a core, core piece. Like next to music, I would say humor was the glue. So we'd be, when we were traveling, we'd be joking constantly, constantly cutting up. You know, in dressing rooms, we throw stuff at each other, you know, and we, it's kids stuff, really, right. locker room stuff, but right. in a good way. Right. You know, I mean, you know, we weren't getting hurt or anything like that. We were just, we we're just cutting up, having a blast. I really miss that. 
So if it was easy to turn it on, you know, like let's say I was Don Henley and you know you're playing boom chick, boom chick. Let me take a snooze. Boom chick. <laughs> Let me take another short nap. Boom chick. That's one thing. But when you're going fubba bubba fubba bubba fubba bubba and you're singing, right? It's a different deal. How long? So will you, you can still do it. Yeah, I just, you just did, did it. it. Yeah. 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 You know what? It wasn't too bad, was it? No, it was I do good, say man. so myself. Mike, where do you stand on all of this? I mean, you, you've, Mike, you've always been, and and this was alluded to a few times during this conversation. You've always been sort of the the business guy in Triumph. You've, you, you know, you've you have that. You have some music. You have music business history in your in your DNA. Um, so from a business standpoint, I imagine that offers come your way for this band or through an agent every once in a while. Hey, play this festival. Do this. Would you? get together for this do you see a scenario where this band plays again or or no uh you know it's i think we had a song called never say never but it's getting awful close to that now yeah um you know i i really don't see it happening um but you know who knows who knows what, what would it take for it to happen i mean financial or just vibe or timing or what do you think what would it take well we know how much work it is just to go and do a couple of one offs like we did 10 years ago or 9 years ago now. Right. you know it was a lot of work and to do one offs you know we get we get really substantial offers to go right. do one offs but it's just it's not worth it at the end of the day for the work that involved. sweden show we did 6 weeks every day for, to get Gil back in shape, and it was maybe even a little longer than six weeks, but you know that was that's a lot of rehearsals, yeah. you know. But but that's what got Gil back in shape to be able to play. And that was nine so, years ago, and he's falling asleep already right now. Well, so and he had no lunch, so his blood sugar is getting bad. <laughs> he's really bad when he doesn't have lunch. It's the same thing on the road. Now that you mention it, can we take a break? Need a burger. <laughs> All right, let's get some more calls on here because we could pound away at that, but we kind of, you know, we kind of get the idea at this point, and we'll see what the future holds. Mike in Canada, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, uh, first off, I just want to say hi to Rick, Gill, and Mike. Um, hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. Um, first time, my first concert ever was seeing you guys at Maple Leaf Gardens with a no 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 name band called Honeymoon Suite. <laughs> and that was amazing. I've been hooked since. My question for Rick is, you taught at Humber College here in uh, the GTA of Ontario, but is your all your catalog of the guitar player uh, available for anyone, your uh, columns? Yes, they are. And I still teach in Humber. I was there yesterday doing my classes. So I, one day a week, you know, um, and I still love it. Um, would never let that go. Yeah, all of those uh, columns got compiled into a thing called For the Love of Guitar. And it's available off my website. And you can get it as a download or you can get yourself a CD-ROM. Yeah. So, yep. RickEmmett.com. A uh, good friend of mine, great chef here, Chef Eric in New Jersey. What's up, buddy? I finally got you in here with, uh, with the Triumph guys. I know how excited you were for this. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Eddie. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing you here at one of the restaurants. So, guys, I, I have to thank you for all your years of music and, and what you did to me as, for me as a kid, uh, coming through some really tough things as a kid, and, and I want to thank you for that. And what led me to Triumph was actually my other favorite Canadian band, Rush. Um, you know, power, another power trio, obviously, and, and you guys really uh, 
got me through some tough times with songs like Never Surrender, Follow Your Heart, and um, really, uh, I just wanted to say thank you. And the and the platform that Eddie has here to be able to connect with you guys is just phenomenal. So you guys rule. I hope, is there a possibility of at least an album? I know maybe you know, it sounds like no tour, but maybe at least a little uh, little fresh music. Dude, that would take Gil two years to get ready to do. <laughs> if a tour took Gil, six I'll tell you months, what, I'll... I think Gil needs two years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gil, I'll be your drum tech, okay? I'll grab your arm. <laughs> okay, buddy, if you'll do that, hand. we're on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. Toronto's like my second home. I do a lot of consulting up there for restaurants and catering companies, so I'm always up there. So I'm in. If that's going to make Triumph come back, even just in studio, I would do that in a heartbeat. Well, you're a chef, and I'm hungry right yeah. now. So. <laughs> Give Eddie your number. He's a, he's a great <laughs> chef. He's got my he's... number. I got his number. He lives right by me. Thank you, Eric. Take care, buddy. Um, yeah, if you're ever in Jersey, Mars Tap and Grill in, in Randolph. That's uh, his spot, but he's a, he's a very accomplished chef and a good friend, and he's willing to drum tech just to get it <laughs> between running two restaurants. Dan in Massachusetts. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, guys, I just want to say that it's so much, uh, it's, it's just so great and so much fun to, uh, to hear you guys all together again. Thank you so much for doing this this afternoon. We really appreciate it. And, uh, um, Rick was just telling me how far he had to drive. I feel bad making him do it now. <laughs> so it's Eddie's fault. <laughs> uh, it's my pleasure. And to get to hear people like you and, and say those things, it, it does, it does our heart good. Well, Rick, as you as as you know, actually, uh, you know, the reason why I picked up the guitar uh, 35 years ago was, uh, you know, w w was Triumph in, in, in your playing. And um, the question that I actually have for you this afternoon is, if you had to put just one song in a time capsule to be dug up a hundred years from now, that would best represent the sound and songwriting of the band, which song would each of you choose? And Rick, I know that you mentioned that Allied Forces and Fight the Good Fight Magic Power, you mentioned a few minutes ago, that really represents the heart of the band. But if just one song that, that really uh, that you would want to be most remembered for and most proud of that really represents the band, I'm curious as to which song each of you would choose. Wow. that's a, Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I, th I, think, um, I think I'd probably have to go with Fight just because of what it is musically. Although... I don't know. I you know if, if we're gonna pick what's the one representative anthem, I, I would have to go with Magic Power. But I don't know. I fight maybe was the one that had it had the most gill in in you know a song where I wrote the lyric. So, but he wrote those melodic intro things. He wrote those uh, that ba da 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 bum 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 ba do 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 do. That was his riff, you know. So. I'd, I'd pick that one. Okay, on to you other guys now. Yeah, what do you got? What's the definitive Triumph song, Gil? I actually was going to pick the same song. Yeah. Fight the Good Fight. Yeah, for me, that would be the one. And Mike? Yeah, I make it unanimous. Wow. I don't believe <laughs> that. I can't That's believe it. We all agree. We all agree on something. There is hope, you guys. There is hope. We just saw We just saw the clouds part and sun start. Don't get crazy, but the sun's coming through. There could be hope here. Um, all right, let's go to uh, trying to get the people in waiting a really, really long time uh, here. Let's get Curtis. Uh, no surprise, a lot of Canadian callers flooding our lines. Curtis, go ahead in Canada. You are uh, you are on the air with Triumph. Uh, what an honor. Thanks, guys. How are you guys doing? 
Great, Curtis. Thanks. We're hungry. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're hungry. I don't have any food, but I do have a couple of quick questions. 45 minutes and we're, we're out of here. You'll be rid okay, of me. I'll be on a plane going back to New Jersey. You'll be uh, rid of me. Okay, I'll be, I'll be really, really quick. Um, so I just want to say maybe this is more of a compliment than a question, but for years and years there's always this rumor that if you could find where Rick Emmett lived, you could go up and knock on his door and he would come out and give you a beer and talk to you. And I think this is uh, it may, it may have been more an embellishment. Maybe some, maybe one guy did it. But uh, this is, seems like a Canadian thing that uh, Canadian musicians were, uh, you know, always very open to their fans. And is there any truth to that, Rick? Uh, well, I, I'd like to I'd like to think that I remain a relatively accessible and and humane kind of person. But there are limits. And I'm going to tell a quick story because there was once a, a young lady that you know. Uh, my wife had gone off to work, and it's maybe, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning, ding-dong at my front door, and I go, and this waft of perfume comes to, you know, through the door when I open it, and I'm standing there in my robe, you know, and I'm going, oh, uh, yeah? And she goes, oh, my God, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. And I go, uh, what do you think is going to happen here? <laughs> like I said, how did you find where I live? And she had gone to, like, you know, and it was no secret that we lived in Mississauga. She'd gone to the Mississauga City Hall, and she'd paid so she could do a title search. Oh, my God. And so she found my address and then got in a cab and came to my house. And I said, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're going to have to leave. Like, I'm not going to invite you in for tea. I don't want any trouble. So, right. you know, bye-bye. So, years later... Uh, I won't, I'm not going to name names, okay? But a guy who's a fairly famous guitar player who had played in a fairly famous band, and now he's a guitar player that's touring with other guys. And I'm on a bill, and I'm and I'm talking with this guy backstage, and I tell him this story, and he goes, "Oh my God, she knocked on my door. She came to my door." <laughs> oh, and I said, "What did you do?" He goes, "I invited her in. I produced her album. I'm co-writing with her." I Wait, go, she, she's a musician? Yeah. And I go, "Oh my God!" So I'm not going to, re you know, reveal where, names. Where but, they, these are all Canadians. I'm assuming. Uh, I'm, I'm not. No, no, no I'm not no, asking name names. But the, the musician. No, this was an American dude, and this was a West Coast kind of thing. But you know, and the girl was actually East Coast. She originally started out in Massachusetts. And oh know. my gosh, so she crosses borders and everything. Crazy, eh? Wow, that's a true story. Wow. Anybody knocking on your door, Mike or Gil? Anything <laughs> we need to know? No, I just I have a big sign saying "Stay off my land." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's go again. Canada representing your uh, your home home turf here, Mark in Canada. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, Eddie, this is awesome. Thank you so much for getting these guys together again. Oh, it's this Mark. Mark's a loyal caller and listener of my show. Good, Mark. Thanks. I'm glad you got through. What's what's your question? I, I wish I could have hooked up with you this time around, Eddie, but I think you'll be back to Toronto one day. Well, the Sirius XM Canada folks haven't uh, you know haven't been nothing but have been nothing but great to me, and hopefully we'll be able to do more from up here for sure. Okay, so let me. I got a couple quick things. First of all, guys, I'm looking at a ticket stub. From 1985, Thursday, April 11th, Maple Leaf Gardens. I sat in the golds, and all I can say is, you shook the shit out of Maple Leaf Gardens that night. And it by 85, they probably didn't have to curtain it. It was so incredible. I, I'll never forget that show as long as I live. Great. Yeah, that was Thunder Thanks. 7 tour, right? Yeah, we played that two was nights. Thunder 7. Yeah. Uh, All right, okay, Mark, get Gil. your question in because we got a ton of callers here. Okay, Gil, real quick. Um, I'm a huge Deep Purple fan, and I, I lived around the corner from Metalworks in Mississauga for many, many years. 
And when Ian Gillen did his uh, Gillen's Inn, uh, I guess you had the you you were, you had all the all the guys there like Tony Iommi, Satriani. What was that like? Well, I love Ian Gillen's voice, and I love the song "Smoke on the Water," which he re-recorded at Metalworks. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, he's a really he's a he was a great great guy, good sense of humor, and love Ian Gillen. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the phone call. We got to take a break. We're going to come back. We got about 40 minutes left to go, and we will continue plowing through all these phone calls coming in from Mike Levine, Rick Emmett, and Gilmore of Triumph. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, you guys, I want to tell you about an amazing service. Uh, Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. And I got to tell you, Audible is unbelievable. It's the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They've got over 180,000 titles to choose from, really in every genre, thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi. And Audible titles, they'll play on the iPhone, Kindle, Android, more than 500 devices for listening anytime, anywhere. Now, I don't know how you guys are, but I can tell you, I have a stack of books that I get in the mail all the time, and as much as I love physically getting books, it's really difficult to find the time to read. I mean, a lot of times when I'm home, I'm busy with my kids, I'm I'm busy catching up on paying bills, you know, the stuff that you do. Now, where I do have time to listen and take in a book would be driving, but guess what? <laughs> you better not be reading while you're driving, Right. But with Audible, you can listen to these books, and it, it it just is such a great way to let the time go by and get lost in an, in a great book and a great story, and it really is awesome. I mean, I really cannot recommend it highly enough. And there there's so many great books that you can download, any audiobooks. You can get a free trial from Audible.com. Some of the titles they have, The Girl on the Train, Lean In by Shelley Sandberg, the Book Thief by Marcus Zusask. Hope I said his name right. Heard much about that. And uh, it's amazing. And guess what? We're talking free right now, okay? We're talking a free audiobook. Won't cost you a penny to try this out. Amazing service. So here's what I want you to do. Go to audibletrial.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K, my last name. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trunk trunk try it out pick any free audiobook you'll love it and then see for yourself audible.com slash trunk this is the eddie trunk podcast let's continue right now this is Lori in florida Lori, you're not the woman that knocked on rick emmett's door are you <laughs> No, I was just going to say, I promise you, I, I, no, definitely not. Definitely not. As tempting as it was, definitely not. All right. So, we're just going to check. Huge just fan here. Drive, huge fan here. Driving home from work. Caught your show. I'm like, why don't you repeat the number? For 20 minutes, I'm sitting in my car in my driveway waiting for you to repeat the number. 844 <laughs> Right. I am so excited. Thank you for taking my call, guys. You are awesome. Um, awesome, awesome. I still listen to you. I'm 50 years old. One of the first bands I got into. Know every word. Um, my husband would be freaking out right now, laughing at me. Okay. Anyway, uh, 
I missed the first part of the show, I believe. So I'd like to know if you guys can name it, and they might be different for each one of you, um, three bands that inspired you. Three band, three bands each that inspired them. Growing up, yeah. Or one each from that. So basically, want to know what their favorite bands are. The the influence question, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can tell you that when Triumph. Rick, your guitar playing is just unbelievable. Drums, everything. Three piece, you guys sound like ten pieces. I mean, amazing. Thank you so much. Amazing music. And, and well, I, that wouldn't be if it hadn't been for Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin. Like, for sure, that was the biggest influence on Triumph as a band. And when we started, we used to play a set where we had um, uh, Hendrix songs, Deep Purple songs, uh, and, of course, Zeppelin was was the big one. But I would say, would you guys not agree with me, Triumph influence would be maybe... We came out of a Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Purple Hendrix, Hendrix, Cream kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Which is which is pretty much the DNA for most bands that yeah. that came around out around your time, yeah. uh, for the most part. And you guys covered some of that material as well. There was definitely, especially if you look at the history of Triumph and you listen to something like Blinding Light Show and things like that. There was definitely a progressive sort of vibe on some of the earlier records too. Where did that come from? Were you guys into into prog stuff at all at any point? I was more than the other guys. Well, yeah. I, the band I was in before Triumph was a three piece, very prog kind of approach. And Blinding Light Show was, in fact, a song that had been written in that band. Oh, really? That I brought to these guys, and then they said, "Now get rid of all those weird time signature things, and <laughs> let's we'll get it, we'll heavy it up, and we'll triumphize it." And so, the, yeah, that's where that came from. And you know, speaking of progressive, and being here in Toronto, it's and, and Alex Lifeson is on your new record, uh, Rick, as well. But you guys never uh, did anything with Rush, or am I mistaken? Back in the old days, did you ever tour with them, or did you ever share bills with them at all? Was there any any sort of common uh, ground with the band coming out of Toronto? Both of you being trios. Well, you know, the common ground was I. I think you know Rush opened a lot of doors because they were just just before us you know and right. and we we love them i mean great band great guys and great canadians uh can't say enough about rush but no we never played on a bill with them ever never played on a festival with them which is just kind of an odd circumstance you know mm. uh that's just just i think it was ray their manager didn't want us anywhere near the band near rush i think he just kept us apart <laughs> A little bit of a competitive thing, sort of thing, yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah, I, I, I think Alex was telling me once that 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 Ray said those guys in Triumph are coming after you guys, so you better stay sharp. You know, right, so, right. So, so you put a little heat on them at yeah, one point. Yeah, yeah. We uh, continue with another call from Canada. Joe, welcome. You're on the air. What's going on, bud? Hey, boys. It's uh, Joe Combo here. How you doing? <laughs> Joe! Is this guy next door or Can what? Can you go What's to the restaurant and pick me up some fries? <laughs> hey. <laughs> it's really good Joe, what, what's, what's your history with Triumph? My history with Triumph, uh, I was uh, a college student, fresh out of uh, Humber College, actually, and I, I was working as uh, an intern, and the boys decided to keep me on, and I ended up working there for... I think about 10 years or so, uh, doing various, various, various jobs all over. I mean, I used to, I, I did everything. Even I think I was Rick's guitar tech on the last uh, few legs of the last tour as well. So yeah, yeah. Many, many odd jobs, but I, it's really great to hear you guys back in the same room, the three of you together. It's just, uh, I was thrilled when I saw the announcement that this was happening. That's cool, Joe. It's great you called yeah, in, yeah. man. It's nice to hear your voice. 
Well, I keep in touch with Gil once in a while, but uh, Rick, I saw you way back a few years ago, and Mike, I haven't seen you since. I think you listened to our demo in my truck. We were driving around or something and went for breakfast. I think it's the last time I saw you. Wow, that was a long time ago, Joe. <laughs> that, that, that was, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, if you guys do get back out on the road, Gil has my number. Sorry. Up by metalwork sometime, Joe. Something tells me you're not going to be getting a call, Joe, anytime soon. <laughs> please, please bring food when you come. <laughs> Only kidding. Hey, Eddie, if you ever Joe. want to do this again, we need a rider. You know, yeah, apparently, I know yeah, a deli yeah. tray or something. <laughs> yeah. um, Joe, yeah. thanks, but if you want to go back on the road, you better look for another band because I don't think you're finding it right here. Uh, Brian in Ohio, what's going on, Brian? You're on with Triumph. Guys, thanks for taking this call. Uh, Triumph's big years were my high school years, and those are the best albums. Um, and I saw Rick recently in Versailles, Ohio, a uh, small intimate gathering. And it... Oh, hold on a second, Brian. We, we, you went to hold for a second, but I think you're back there. Go ahead, Brian. I think we lost you for a second. Go ahead. Yeah, guys, just my question is, um, you talked earlier about Sport of Kings being where outside writers came into the mix, and I always just wondered about the the record company's promotion of Sport of Kings and Thunder Seven, like they didn't uh, didn't promote the albums right, and that they didn't get the commercial uh, results that you might have expected. I just wondered if that contributed to you know what happened um, you know in the late Triumph years. Uh, maybe you know that, that that could be part of it, but you got to remember that um, we were with originally RCA, which was the Record Cemetery of America, <laughs> and, and then we went to MCA, which Musicians. is the Music Cemetery of America. Um, they're both not good rock labels. How did you end up there? Was it management that decided to sign there? Did they make the best offer? Was it the was it the first approach? How did it work that you you found yourself on those labels, which, as you mentioned, neither of them are well known for for being rock Our, strongholds? Well, you know, back in you know in the late seventies when RC when we went to RCA, it was probably not a bad place to be originally because they didn't have any rock bands. Bowie so, was on RCA at one point, I think, and and they let the, they they had the Scorps too, and they oh yeah, and the they, let them, years, oh, yeah. They, they let them go, you know they didn't resign them, and they had Elvis. I mean Elvis was RCA. Yeah. Period, Hall of right? Notes, Hall of Notes. Hall of Notes was right. a lot of pop, but yeah. there wasn't a lot of rock. Evelyn right. Champagne King, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Irving, you know, was the head of uh, he he basically signed us to MCA. Irving Azoff, yeah. who now basically runs the entire music industry yeah, in pretty much. some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, interesting. You know, something else I wanted to touch on, too, before we go back to our calls, is uh, a few people mentioned this about the sound of Triumph and that the fact that three guys made such a big sound live. There was a point, though, where you did bring out and tour with a, another uh, guitar player slash yes. supplement. Was it Rick Santers? Rick Santers, yes. And, the Santers and, band, and yeah. talk about the decision to do that. At what point did you decide, you know what, we should, you know, Rick, you know, it's, I'm dying here playing lead guitar and singing and on, you know, Mike, you would have the, the keyboards and the bass going. I mean, everybody was multitasking. How did the decision come? Okay, for live, we really should supplement. I lobbied for it. And the other guys, like... You know, we, I was always going to pipe up and talk about this in some of the earlier questions. Like when the band was, you know, had already gotten past the golden time of, of Allied Forces and all that stuff. And then we were in that in that sport of Kings period and the pressure was coming from the record company. I was also feeling like live. And you got to remember, the music business was changing like it, you. 
you needed a keyboard player to be able to fill things out. And I wanted somebody else that could sing harmonies so that I could make more demands vocally. And, the, you know, the other guys were busy. They were doing other stuff on stage. It, I really felt it was important to get a fourth guy. And they were kind of like, well, I don't know. And that whole thing of, you know, um, Three Musketeers, it does change the, the, the dynamic, the politics of that, you know. So, but... You know, I've, I lobbied for it, and we did it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't think great. it was bad, but it was different. It there, was different. I still get people that say, yeah, I don't I don't get that yet. There was a fourth guy on stage. I don't get that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a weird thing. Uh, joined with the reunited members of Triumph, Mike Levine, Rick Emmett, and Gil Moore. And, again, I'm stressing this is a reunion for this radio show. There is uh, This is not a reunion of any pending tour or record or anything like that. So I know that's deflating to some people, but uh, just telling it like it is because it definitely doesn't we seem like We might like, like to tour with you, Eddie, and we'll just go and do radio shows for a minute as long as we can get food somehow into the bargain. <laughs> do a radio tour somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Uh, again, we take a call from Canada. This is George. Hi, George. You're on Trunk Nation with Triumph. Hi, is that me? It's you, George. You're on the air. I just wanted to say hi to Triumph and more specifically uh, to Mr. Levine. Uh, recently had a wonderful vacation in Jamaica with my girlfriend, Jen. And I can <laughs> confirm that uh, uh, we met a gentleman, Chuck, and he introduced us to Mike. And he does kick you off his land, but... He's nice to you for about <laughs> half an hour first. Um, it gives you 30 <laughs> minutes, eh? You're not welcoming people to your doorstep with a beer. Is that the case, Mike? Well, no. The um, This was uh, last week, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> Almost. Yeah, it was the yeah. highlight of the trip. Uh, this, uh, uh, Wait, so do you know this guy? Yeah, or did... I met him. He was at my house in Jamaica. Just randomly? Well, this, uh, yeah, I guess randomly because <laughs> you because guys are great cause, with your fans. Because I'll, t- I'll tell you what, if if Chucky would have phoned first, which he should have, I would have told him to fuck off. <laughs> but Chucky just drove them up there. Uh, you you have how long, George? Thank you for the call. Um, how long have you had a place in Jamaica? Since ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah. You spend the winters there. Yeah. So it sounds awesome. I, I would love to do that. It sounds just like I'm just looking at you. I'm so he's he's just he's just relaxed and tanned and like you know. Mark also in Canada. Hey, Mark, you're on with Triumph. I don't think we've ever hey, had guys, a great. more a bigger Canadian invasion on this radio show ever, man. <laughs> this is awesome. Go ahead, Mark. Glad to be a part of it. Nice to talk to you guys. Hey, glad and and glad to see you guys are all in the same room and. And getting along, that's probably They're more ready to kill than, each uh, other, though. you got to see. I could, the tension, you could cut it with a knife. You know, Gil's going to turn the table over any minute. I can feel it. Go, any, go ahead, anyway. Mark. Uh, I was watching uh, on, on YouTube. It was uh, actually done on, I think, much more music back in the early 2000s. It was the story of Triumph. And, and uh, Rick, you mentioned that uh, you felt as, as time was windling down in the 80s that you wanted to do some solo things on your own and, and stretch out, which obviously you ended up doing. Um, but I just wondered uh, as a group question, I don't know if it's if appropriate, but just if, if Rick would have gone off to do that, if it, if it could have been, if it could have happened to go off to do a solo and then still keep the band together, do you think that would have changed the history of triumph? It's a good question. Yeah, yes, I do. I think, I that, think so. that's what I actually hoped would have happened, but you know, history is otherwise. 
So, so yeah. in your mind, Gil, Rick could have had the had both worlds. He could have gone and done his own sort of thing, and also still maintained uh, a triumph. It's hard to explain. It's hard to go back to that space and time. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was a tough time for me because my father just passed away, and that kind of dominated everything in my world. And you know, Rick had this you know idea that he wanted to pursue, and and he should have been able to do it. You know, without any restrictions from triumph. And I think he felt he was being restricted. And I don't know. There was just a lot of personal feelings that were going on at the time we were getting pressure from the record company it was a horrible time mm. you know but in an ideal world yeah if you could live your life twice and you could uh you know sort of have script it somewhat that would have been great you know rick rick should have you know done some solo work and then you know we should have got back together in a couple of years and and uh you know picked it up and got onto the next chapter of triumph as it was it took it took too long but you know the good news is we're buddies and here we are you know that, and that's commonplace today. Now you you'd be hard pressed to find a musician in any band that's only in one band. Yes, it used to be. If you think back to seventies, even eighties, if you heard of somebody doing something outside, a guy doing something outside of their band, it was a huge red flag. Oh my God, the sky's falling. It's over. Now you today you got guys in two, three, four bands in major bands, and I, I have different views on that. I think there's pros and cons. I think some of it's too much, honestly, because it takes away some of the special nature of like, wow, I can only see that guy one time a year or waiting for. But but I understand it's a byproduct of what's happened to the music industry where record sales aren't there, and you've got to multitask a little bit. Uh, you guys actually own your catalog, right? You you control your your masters, right? Yeah, that's correct. So you you really I mean that's got to be I mean I don't know who had the foresight to be able to pull that off but that's also incredibly unique. Was that something that management figured out early on or did you guys just buy them from RCA and MCA? How did that work? We ended up when we moved from RCA to MCA, um, our lawyers were smart enough to get a reversion clause built in, which became known as the Triumph Clause in the music business because we were the first band to ever get it. Wow, and um, you know it was a—it's a very good thing that that, that happened, and you know, for us. How does your catalog do? Does it still sell well around the world? Yeah, it's um, you know it's it's not it doesn't sell like the old days, but right. it's it's consistent, and um, you know the streaming business is good, and the download business is good, and the physical sales are very good too. Yeah, you guys have done some cool re- the the. Uh... Not too long. Well, I say not too long ago. It's probably you're going to probably tell me it was ten years. But I remember there was also a greatest hits remixed that you did, where you went in and 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 I forget who was, Rich Chicky. Chicky re- yeah. went in and remixed and 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 did some of that. Were you guys happy with that? Did you like hearing those songs kind of in a new version with a new new coat of paint on them as far as mixes? When, it, when we first did it, you know, I, I liked all the new mixes. It's funny. I've gone back. I like the old mixes now. You know, there was more, di- there was more, um, I don't know, the dynamics, probably the right word. I don't know, Mike, you're, you're, Mike, Mike was uh, involved in every mix we ever did and was really the expert on it. But yeah. I don't know if you like the new mixes or the old mixes, but. Uh, you know, it's like a song is a song, you know, it, I didn't like the idea of remixing the songs initially. And actually, Rich, I thought he did a, ver- a really good job, but there's no, uh, I think, where even the mixes that we did in the in the old on the on the original records, of course, there's there's stuff that I don't like about them. But in general, they have there's just something about some of the songs that 
just you could never recreate that feeling or that soul in the mix. It was like whether somebody was sitting at the board pushing the snare drum up and down or whatever it might be. Or the light was going off the the audio illusion processor (laughs) was working. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the name of the, if there ever is another Triumph record, it should be called Audio Illusion Processor. (laughs) That would be awesome. Let's go to Kentucky and say hello to Blake. Hi, Blake. You're on the air. Hey, great. Uh, hey, just wanted to say real quickly, thank you specifically to Rick. Uh, you guys uh, were such a big influence on me. But about 15 years ago, uh, I had an opportunity to open a show for you in Louisville. And you were just so unbelievably gracious. Uh, signed all my Triumph records. Just wanted to say thanks. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, my question is, uh, years and years ago, you were talking about Pyro in the early days. And you actually mentioned Louisville uh, when you were talking about some of the places in the states that you went. There might have so been a fire. <laughs> there might have been a that's fire. That's what I was calling about. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I was calling about. That was the yeah, very yeah. first time I ever saw you at Memorial Auditorium in Louisville, and there was a stupid fire, and they stopped the show. <laughs> Wait, yeah. what, what caused the fire? Did the band cause the no. fire? No. Somebody no. in the stands caused a fire? Yeah, it was a, a soft seat. A theater, maybe 3,000, 4,000 seats. Like that. So, but somebody somebody you know, dropped a doobie down into a my seat. Blake, was it you that started the fire? <laughs> Negative. <laughs> All right, because there's probably a, a statute of limitations. You'd probably be okay now. But. Yeah, our, our, our tour manager got arrested. They arrested him. Why? Um, for because he refused to stop the show. Obstruction of oh. justice, kind of thing. Want wanton endangerment. There you go. A, which is a yeah. felony. And, and Gil was like, "Cool, fire on the stage and fire off the stage." <laughs> well, you know, Eddie, it's easy to blame Triumph for fires. I mean, you know, I, I know we're a soft target, you know, but you know, I, I like us as a band. You know, we we like our fans and. We like our fires. <laughs> Cliff in North Carolina. Go ahead, Cliff. What's up, brother? Hey, man. 30 years ago, I saw you guys at the Felt Farm with Ingve Malmsteen opening up, man. When I was four, uh, 16 years old, man. You guys fucking blew my mind. <laughs> Great. But uh, I'm going to switch gears, man. I called up about, like, archive stuff. But uh, I remember nine years ago when you guys first reunited, and you said one of the reasons why you wouldn't do a tour was because the promoters just weren't there. Um, I'm here to tell you, I I played a Genesis tribute and um, we play a lot of venues like the house of blues and, and Fillmore size venues. And I got to tell you, man, if you guys wanted to do a similar show to the one that you did back in the day, I think you could do it in those places, man. They got, they got the biggest stages and, you know, rigging and all that, man. I mean, if you guys were to go back at it, you know, you could play venues like that. And I, and I have no doubt in my mind your diehards will come out and you, you guys could probably put 2,000. I, lo- I love how the fans. I, <laughs> I, Cliff, you I know? love you. And I, and, and I thank you for the call, Cliff. And I get where you're coming from. But I love how the fans are ready to do the rigging at this point, basically, <laughs> to get a Triumph show. You know, I'd hang the sign if you want. If there's a light bulb out, I'd fix the bulb, you know. We should hire him as tour manager right now. <laughs> Hell, those are the best ideas I ever heard. Problem is, you can't play the drums for Gil, and he doesn't feel like putting six months in <laughs> while his studio goes to shit. You know, that's the problem. Uh, J.D. in Texas. Go ahead, J.D. 
Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, quick comment. Uh, first, I'm, I'm 49 years old. I saw Triumph first time at the Municipal Auditorium in Austin, Texas in 1979, just a game tour. Wow. Um, and inter- interestingly enough, I was a huge Kiss fan at the time, and you guys had one of those late-night commercials. And it came on, it had the pyro, and Rick was, you know, the guitar, and it was just, I looked at it, and I, ha- I at that time, I didn't know who Triumph was, and I saw that commercial, and I'm like, I, I gotta go. Um, and so, I think I got a ticket for it was maybe seven or nine bucks at the time. And, that, and then you got that there, and you're like, damn, they don't wear makeup, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you don't want night, your money back, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that night literally changed uh, changed my life. I mean, I, the next day I went out and bought just a game, and and I, I will say that you know I'm a huge music guy, and and if there are two bands that define you know everything music meant to me through all the years, it'd be Triumph and, and UFO. And yes, I, I will another band that, I love. Yeah, I would say to you, Rick, that you know you were my Jimmy Page. I I just was just in awe and 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 everything you were able to do on the guitar and, and just multi-styles. And, and, you know, I've been also been playing guitar my whole life and, and, you know, just been a huge influence. So wanted to get that out of the way, but, um, I appreciate that. Thank I you. Had, yeah. Uh, the question I had is where would you guys consider that you were at your artistic peak as a band? And then, and, and I missed the, the first hour, but, uh, and then where were you at your commercial peak where, you know, the money was rolling in at, at its best. Interesting. Well, well, I, it sounded like, and thank you, JD, for the call. It sounded like, from what you guys were saying earlier, the the artistic peak would have been. Did you, you, you all kind of felt Allied Forces time? Would that be accurate? Yeah, Allied Forces never surrender. Okay, and there was, was some all- stuff. There was some stuff on Thunder Seven where we were in transition, but I, I was left to my own devices a lot in the studio. So for me personally, there were some moments like I did the time cannon vocal thing on Thunder Seven, and I, I did a little blues guitar instrumental thing, and and Midsummer Daydream was on. I think that's probably the best guitar piece I wrote in the Triumph era, but that was all Thunder Seven, but. So artistically, maybe for me, there's I bleed over into Thunder Seven, but for sure, Allied Forces was probably artistic. I'm going to leave the business question about money. When was the, the cash others. coming in the biggest, Mike? The the cash? What yeah. cash? <laughs> the, the the money. What was the most lucrative time? I a mean, ticket price was eighteen dollars or twenty bucks. You know, a t-shirt in a building was twenty dollars. I think, maybe tops. Yeah. You know, so there was never any, and a, and a record sold for seven ninety eight. Right. You know, so what you're um, saying is there was never it was always a consistent thing. It was never like you you, you guys were making it rain at any point. You know? We had to tour to make money. Yeah. Like our record sales, we we didn't make huge amounts off that. Like the most <laughs> successful song I had as a writer was Somebody's Out There off of Sport of Kings. And it cracked the top thirty on Billboard or something as a single. And that's you know, that was airplay. That wasn't, it wasn't there because of sales, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, that's a commercial measure, measuring stick, a billboard single, but there was no money in that. Let's go to Canada again, uh, here in Canada. It's Tony. Go ahead, Tony. You're on the air with Triumph. Eddie, it's an honor and a privilege to talk to you. And uh, Gil, Rick, Mike, you guys changed my life. Um, <laughs> woo you guys better, were better. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> <laughs> you wrecked my life, you <laughs> son of a bitches. <laughs> <laughs> no. My girlfriend flew concerts. to Toronto. 
Never mind. My girlfriend <laughs> went to Rick's house That's to have a beer with him, and he slammed the door in her face. <laughs> you ruined my uh, life. Go ahead, Tony. <laughs> you guys were one of the first shows I ever saw, the Thunder 7 tour on at Maple Leaf Gardens, and you guys blew me away. It changed my life. Uh, Rick, or sorry, uh, Gil, I'm a drummer, and your style... My condolences. <laughs> you want to play in the well, Triumph style... Reunion? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I live right around the corner from Metalworks. I'll be there for everybody does. Maybe, wait, maybe, wait, wait, hold on. I just had an idea. subdivision there. I just had an idea. Maybe that's the move. Maybe Gil just sings and you get a stunt drummer to, to drum. Yeah. And this way he doesn't put the work in behind the kid. You get a young kid to play drums and, mm. and Gil could tutor him and Gil could just sing. Right. But it'd be good. And then when Rick sings, Gil could dance. <laughs> Except with a tambourine. <laughs> go, go boots. Go ahead, Tony. I'm sorry. Finish up. That's all right. Uh, I, just, I just wanted to thank you guys for uh, what you've meant to me over the years. Uh, my daughter recently got married, and my wife and I, we walked into the hall, to the reception hall, to uh, follow your heart. So uh, that's just uh, beautiful. Nice how, to hear, uh, Tony. Thank you. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, Tony, thank, thank you, you for listening. Thanks for yeah. the kind words. Appreciate it. Well, that was a lot of fun, and a lot of callers, as you would imagine. I could have taken calls for a couple hours easily there with the guys reunited from Triumph and to no surprise, a lot of Canadians invading the Sirius XM phone, uh, phone lines during that interview to call in and talk to the guys as well. Really a lot of fun, and it was a blast doing that. And again, I appreciate those guys coming in and just doing it to do it. You know, nothing to sell, nothing to promote, just doing it for the fans, doing it for me, and it is greatly appreciated. And I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. And I had a great time visiting Toronto for the first time as well. Very cool city. Had a great time there. Hope to be back there soon. All right, you guys know the deal. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. EddieTrunk.com is the website. Music news updated daily. The blog is uh, the Trunk Report, all appearances on the homepage. And you can also get merch from me. I got a merch store there, signed copies of either of my books. Just hit those tabs, all on EddieTrunk.com. And you can email me, Eddie at EddieTrunk.com. This podcast is produced by Katie Irizarry. I will see you guys next week for another all-new episode. We post new every Thursday, podcastone.com and iTunes, wherever you are in the world listening and downloading. Thanks for doing so. Have a great week, everybody.
I'm Clay Smith, host of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews, the podcast for book lovers interested in interviews with best-selling authors, insider scoop on the hottest releases, reading ideas for book clubs and bibliophiles, and even tips about which books to skip altogether. So be sure to download new episodes of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews every Tuesday. You can get it on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.